My name is Gunnar. I play in a local Austin band called The Big Gun Show. I created this podcast to sit down with other songwriters, musicians, artists, lovers of music to talk about their top five records that have inspired their lives and musical prowess. Today's episode of my Top 5 Records podcast features Jamie Harris, born in Waco, then to Austin. Now she's in Nashville, and I was stoked to have her in person here in Austin to do the podcast. Uh, I love the way that she took the time to revisit her records, and she's definitely a songwriter's songwriter. My favorite thing she said was, fiction is the superhighway to the truth. So true. And as a child, she asked for Pegasus, a flying horse. So late in season one, I implemented quizzes uh, into the podcast, and this will continue. I uh, didn't have a chance to get as many as I would have liked for Jamie because I was having a hard time getting good quiz questions. Anyway, don't matter what I'm going to ask. It's all fun and games. And if you're digging on what we're laying down, please give us a review on iTunes or the Apple platform. Uh, you can find my top five records pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, but if you were to give a star for each one of your top five records on the Apple iTunes platform, that would be super appreciated. Well, let's get to the conversation. But first, close your eyes. You're driving out to Terlingua. What five records do you have? All right, boys and girls, get ready. We have an awesome episode of My Top Five Records today. We got Jamie Harris here today. I'm very excited. Jamie, hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, we're going to have a good time today. I, I promise. Hope so. <laughs> I'm nervous. No, don't be nervous. This, I told you, this is supposed to be fun. So <laughs> I've got your records as Emmylou Harris, Wrecking Ball. Yes. So good. Tracy Chapman, Tracy Chapman, Kathleen Edwards. Can't wait to talk about her. Eliza Gilkinson, live in Austin. Patty Griffin, living with ghosts. You got it right. Um, where are you going to take these records? Jane? Well, I was thinking about it since you mentioned jail earlier. I've already done that, so I think probably not jail. But okay. there you go. <laughs> in real life, but um, you know, one thing I was thinking about when I was putting these together because I was trying to find a common thread, and I'm sure this happens where people come on, they go, "How did I miss what you know?" Enter the blank. But I realized that one of the common um, factors with all these is they're records I love to listen to when I drive. So I think I'm taking mine to Terlingua. Awesome. Yeah. Enough where I can be isolated, but where I can go out for a drive. Because on a desert island, I mean, I'm you know. a, I'm a huge <laughs> cook. Like, I love to cook. And so I used to compete in Cassie Chili. Oh, wow. And so I've been out there to compete. But I only did it in show because I wasn't good enough to, to compete in chili. <laughs> but it's so desolate out there. I love it out there. Love it. All right, well, let's talk about them. Let's let's start off with Emmy Lou. Oh now, wow! Okay, Emmy Lou. I mean, she is just like a legend. Oh yeah, absolutely. I you know I think about this a lot, and which is like you know if Emmy Lou Harris or Linda Ronstadt or you know I guess Sinatra, George Strait, those kind of folks, if they're gonna cut one of your songs, like I'm a songwriter, right? So if you get a Linda or an Emmy Lou cut. They're not going to mess up your song. They're not going to like move mm -hmm. words around. They're not going to over sing it. They're just going to do it beautifully in their own way. And I think like in a post Dylan era, there's so much, you know, of, oh, I have to, the songwriter and the singer have to be the same person. It's not authentic if it's not your songs. But here's like one of the reasons this is one of my favorite records is because it's just a collection of some of the best songs ever written by some of the best songwriters on earth. She's known for Sung that. by one of the best singers. Yes. Same with Linda Ronstadt. Exactly. It just elevates incredible songs and incredible songwriters. I mean, those two girls have insane voices. Oh, yeah. They're, they're so good. Well, this album was released in 1995. It was produced by uh, Daniel Lanois, mm -hmm. who also did U2 Joshua Tree, which was an album that 
um, Graham picked. Oh, really? Yeah. No, uh, was it him? I don't think it was Graham. Uh, no, it wasn't Graham. It was it was uh, Steve Carlson. Oh, okay. Anyway, but you know, he she was like kind of moving away from her traditional roots at this point, you know. And so, and this album won a Grammy in 1996 for Best Contemporary Folk, and here she is, age four, 48. Right. You know, she's been this name in country music, and you know, swearing her sway all over like the chicks. Oh yeah. Margot Price, Cheryl Crow. Um, but now we're going to jump right into the quiz questions. Oh my God. Are you ready, are you ready for this? I'm nervous. No, don't be nervous. Okay. Don't all right. Nervous. All right. I, go I got to remember which button is which here. Um, who did not appear on this record? Was it a Cheryl Crow? Was it B Steve Cheryl Earl? Crow. All right. Good job. Good job. You nailed it. All right. Yeah. So she needed, uh, a challenge and you know, she pops up this record. So tell me a little bit about the record. Why, why, why does it mean so much to you? Well, for me, I, you know, Emmy Lou is one of the reasons I actually is the reason I got a guitar. And um, when I was five, I told my parents that I wanted a Pegasus for Christmas, like a flying horse. And I promised all my kindergarten friends we we're going to have a flying horse gang. And I don't know why it was the only time in my life I, I was into that. mythical creatures. I'm more of a realist. But um, yeah, so there was this Emmy Lou Harris Christmas song that it kept putting on repeat, like just whoa, whoa, over and over and over again. And so that's when my parents were like, well, maybe you want a guitar for Christmas. And I was like, okay, that's great. So that's, you know, that's how I, I started into music. And Emmy Lou is just an important figure for me because she is someone, like I said, that I think is a really powerful example of someone who uses the power of their voice, which is extraordinary to uplift other songwriters. And I think that's really important to look at, especially since it seems to be something that's kind of dying off Agreed. more. And, um, you know, think about things that are dying off. Like I miss the contemporary folk category in the right? Grammys as yeah. well. Like what an important thing that's like disappeared or dissolved into something else like Americana. But um, I mean, all your records are that. Right. Exactly. So I think for Emmy Lou, like, you know, the, I know we're going to talk about it later, but that Tracy Chapman record was one of like the very first records I got into and got obsessed with. And the Emmy Lou thing was a really powerful way to see how you could take songs written by Steve Earle, you know, yep. Bob Dylan, Lucinda mm -hmm. Williams, and put this unique spin on them and make them connect in that beautiful way. Yeah. I think it's just extraordinary. I know all my friends that are like super studio guys, like there's a guy I used to work with a lot in town named Brian Douglas Phillips, mm -hmm. who's a producer. He and Fred Monahano, great drummer, and Jacob Hildebrand, great guitar player. Just when I first moved to town, we talked about that record a lot. Fred and I would ride around and just listen to it quite a bit. And a few years ago, we decided to do it live for my birthday. Um, I just love it. There's Sonically, it takes me to a place. Sometimes like uh, Blackhawk, I don't even know fully what that song is about, and I don't even care. It's just like I use it to sound check. There's just something about it that is in my blood system. Right on. In my body. <laughs> it's I, it, I'd never listened to that album. You you never heard it? I'd never listened to it. Wow. Had so, you heard like Teatro, like the Willie Nelson record that Lana Wall made that Emmylou sang on? Have you heard any of that stuff? No. Wow. So this is like a whole new world for you. I, this is what I love about this podcast. Oh, my is God. Is now I get all this new stuff that I, ha I get to listen to. Yeah. I don't have to listen to it, but this is like the, you know, I have, I, I make a point to, to listen to this stuff so that we can talk intelligently about it. Anyway, uh, I want to read you a couple of reviews. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Pitchfork said to some listeners, it was a betrayal by the reedy queen of the silver dollar who once happily offered heaps of twangy, mild-mannered songs for others. It was a refreshing start to a new chapter. 
proof that a woman's artistry has no expiration date. Amen. Yeah. Then it goes on to say, Wrecking Ball uh, wasn't a betrayal or denial of any other version of Emmylou Harris, neither a reinvention nor a revision of history. Harris didn't set out to change the, her story or set a new standard for the next century singer-songwriters. It was a breakthrough of something else entirely, herself. Absolutely. That's so powerful. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, because in so many ways, it is Emmylou. It's Emmylou taking, you know, okay, so on that record, what, you've got Bob Dylan, you've got mm -hmm. Lucent, all these incredible songwriters. I can't remember in the 90s how well even Gillian Welch was known in the 90s. Right. I can't go backwards and do that. You know, Orphan Girl was on there. Um, but she she chooses a David Olney song. And David Olney is like, I think, one of the greatest songwriters of all time. He, he passed away in 2020. And she, I think Lanois, like kind of, they kind of rewrote some of the words for that. But I mean, who, what an extraordinary thing to say, oh, well, a songwriter like David Olney, who is not as well known, his song belongs on this record with these other great songwriters, because yeah. that's what she does. And that's another thing when you think about, you know, I was thinking about top five records and, you know, I was shocked. I was like, you know, Tom Petty, if I was looking at Tom Petty, a lot of Tom Petty songs would probably be in my top five or top 10 songs. But when I went back and really looked at the records, I was like, oh, no, not really records. Like, the, this is a collection of every song yeah. is just extraordinary. And that's the goal. There you go. I see. I'm, I love the way you think about this. I even, you know what else I love? I loved the cover of Hendrix, Hendrix's May This Be yes. Love with Lanois just like doing all that riffing guitar stuff. It was so good. Yeah, it takes you on a journey. That that moment hits in the record. The sequencing, it's just, it's, it's just a perfect record for me. <laughs> Oh. Well, you knew that that was the first thing you said. I don't know what it's going to be. I know this one's going to be. That was on the there. first one. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, if I could only choose one, it's this one. All Music did a review on it and said Wrecking Ball is a left field masterpiece, the most wide ranging, innovative, and daring record in a career built on such notions. On Wrecking Ball, Lanois taps into the very essence of what makes Harris tick the gossamer vocals, the flawless phrasing, while opening up and innumerable avenues for her talents to explore. Amen. Amen is right. I mean, so, I, th th thank you for picking that album. I'm so excited to turn you, like, that is one of my favorite things. When I was in high school, I used to make mixtapes for people. Like, I was very into that. So turning people on to new music, is that is just, like, the best thing in the world for me. I'm so excited that I got to turn you on to my favorite record. Well, I know. Well, you, well also, you also turned me on to Kathleen Edwards. Oh, you didn't know about Kathleen I Edwards. I did know her. I hear her on Sun Radio all the time because that pretty much my stereo stays on Sun Radio all day. Right on. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I really enjoy this record. You know, I, I know known Amy Lou, she's done so much cool stuff with Grant Parsons, with Dolly and, and Linda. Linda. And it's like that, that was one of the – I forget who picked it, but I think uh, Kelly McQuay. I think I was. I think yeah. she did. I think yeah. I think you're right. I know about she's that. big into that trio record. We've had that conversation That's before. It. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I love Kelly. She's oh, awesome. Oh, me too. Okay, well, let's talk about Kathleen Edwards now. Then great. Yeah. So tell me what you liked about this album. So I think like when this album is just just hit me at a time in my life. I can't I don't have a very vivid memory of discovering Kathleen Edwards, but I do remember I think I got Hockey Skates, which is a song on the previous record failure on like a compilation. Uh -huh. And then when this record came out, it might have even been Pandora or something that turned me on to it. And it was like I was maybe 18. This record came out before I was 18, but that's when I got into it. And my high school boyfriend and I had broken up. And I had just amount of like teenage <laughs> angst, angst to be like, I didn't even know what I was saying, but it'd be like, F you, you know, in my like 
coming out of the Baptist world way, like very mild, mildly. Right. Um, and also I used to tour with a guy named David Ramirez. And when we uh-huh. toured together early on, I mean, he like was part of the reason I moved to Austin. Like we sang together a lot. And when we were on the road, this was always in the car. We listened to it. I can't remember. We did like a pretty big tour right before I went to college and we listened to that. So I so associated with being with driving like my first kind of experience of freedom and moving out of the house and like stepping into music being my life and also like going from uh, the kind of Patty Griffin world and the Dixie Chicks world in a way or the Chicks now. Yeah. I, I mean, I grew up in Waco where there I didn't have independent radio. I didn't have an independent record store. So right. like everything that I got was... I don't know. It was just like I, I, I basically had clear channel radio. So to discover something like this was such an incredible thing, because to me, like when I play with a band, I'm like, this is the sound that I want back to me. Kathleen Edwards. That is what I want my live band to sound like. It's such a you know, there's all Greg Least isn't on this record. But obviously that guitar player, Connor, is like definitely influenced yeah. by Greg Least with like some of the the lap steel stuff. Mm-hmm. It just hits so many musical marks and it showed me what it's like a singer songwriter song could become with a band where it isn't as like expansive as wrecking ball this seemed more achievable to me okay that's that's fair that's fair yeah um so this was her second studio album it was released in 2005 um the album reached 176 on the billboard 200 170 is that impressive i don't know anything about the word is that impressive or is that like shocking that it didn't go higher (laughs) i i would hope they would have gone higher yeah okay (laughs) um she was the daughter of a canadian diplomat i didn't know that and she spent much of her youth in korea i didn't know that either wow her brother gave her her first album and i'm gonna let you try to guess who it was because you've already mentioned him today bob dylan no steve earl no neil young (laughs) no (laughs) Tom Petty. Oh, Tom Petty. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah so, um, but I really loved the song Back to Me. And here's what I love about her. I love her unique vocal style. And it's it's like talking and singing at the same time. It's And I hear her on the, on the radio, like the new album when it came out, you know, and I've, I've heard her before. And she's very, she's like kind of one of those people that she sings one note and you're like, oh, that's Kathleen Edwards. Yeah. It's like Willie Nelson. Or Mick Jagger, you know, you know immediately who it is. Uh, but I love the way that she in that in that and back to me how she says, "I've got more ways to make you come back to me," and she just like growls it. You know what I'm saying? That's it's like it gives me chills when I think about it. Yeah, I just got goosebumps yeah. too. Like there is something the timing in that, and just yeah. like the amazing. And I love that she's saying like I in a way leaning into that feminine power. Yeah. Where I think some people, some feminists might say, well, why would you, why would you do that? But I think it's really powerful because she, she's recognizing the power that she has within her, you know? And also the fact that, I mean, it could be two sided, right? It's like I could, but I can't. Right. It's like, that's what I love about this whole record. There's so much like paradoxical stuff going on and talking about her voice. We, we got to fly in and do the Kerrville folk festival a few weeks ago. Nice. Um, Somebody, dropped out and so we got to fill in which was great and i never seen kathleen edwards live and they booked her for the festival and she played solo and it was incredible and that taught me so much because she brought three different guitars she had two different acoustic guitars and an electric guitar and that really showed me how to craft a set beautifully Mm -hmm. acoustically taking those songs that i know i've heard a lot with a full band it was really powerful and someone mentioned to me they're like yeah you know she doesn't have any vibrato in her voice that's what it is and i never recognized that i'm like that either you're right. That's what it is. It's just a 
like a laser coming at you. So, yeah. Wow. I didn't even think about that. That's yeah. great. Um, well, Pitchfork calls this country music. Yeah, okay. I think it's a lot more alt country than anything else. I think it's very whiskey town. Yeah, it's totally, what, 2005? That was kind yeah. of on the cusp of this move, I guess, country movement in a way. Country yeah. alt rock movement, which is now Americana. Right. right? What, I mean, come on. It's like Which is, but isn't a genre. Yeah. Uh, Wilk, these are Wilco, my top five. Yeah. That's, that, that's, those are my top five wow. records. Um, but yeah, definitely Whiskey Town. You know, it was, um, so, uh, who would you compare her to? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, to me, in a way, she's kind of singular. There's some early Brandy Carlisle stuff, oddly, like the first Brandy Carlisle record that I think has some similar stuff going on. But I would actually probably go with Ryan Adams. I would go more with, I think there are more men with a similar sound than women. Wow, okay. Definitely Ryan Adams. I mean, that guitar player, I can't help but think of Greg Lease. You know, even okay. though that's not um, his thing. Maybe that early Rilo Kylie record, even though that's more rock and roll. There's something about those elements that that nice. makes me think of that. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so it was produced by Colin Cripps, who understands that the album's distinctiveness lies entirely within Edwards. The daring of her songwriting and the rawness of her vocals, the sound tough-minded but world-weary as she sings of small-town inertia, big-city intimidation, the thousandth romantic crime she's <laughs> perpetrated. These characteristics, or these characters, aren't necessarily Edwards herself, but inhabits them so re reservedly that she sounds unbelievably vulnerable and alternatively confused and confident. That paradoxal thing. All there right. There you go, right? There you go. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think, like, if you listen to that, what's her latest record, um... Total Freedom. Yeah. There's such a growth. You know, she, I don't know if you know this about her, but she quit music for a while. Like she mm -hmm. was married to her guitar a guitar player. Shop quitters. Yes. Isn't that the best? <laughs> That's the best. Like ended up doing that record with Justin Vernon. They were, I think they were involved romantically. And then she was like, yeah, coffee shop, quit, call, open a coffee shop called Quitters. Yeah. And then I think the story is that Marin Morris brought her in to write for yeah. her latest That's record it. or that girl record. And so she started playing again. And, and I think there is such a tremendous amount of growth. Like there's definitely, you know, I think the song, I believe that the songs can really help us to understand ourselves and to heal as we write them. Right on. And I can't, I can't guess that she's a, you know, a, what's called a confessional songwriter, but I think it's hard for any writer, fiction or otherwise, to not put themselves in the story, right? So, but that latest record, I think if you listen to this and then listen to Total Freedom, you see so much growth. There's like accepting her part in some things, you know, yeah. accepting that. Like she has this one song where she says, you know, we had a, we had a tour bus with a band with a, a bed in the back. We had a rock and roll dream. It was total crap. Right. We, uh, we toured the world and we played on TV. We met some of our heroes. It almost killed me. Yeah. Cause I think, I mean, come on. Right. So, so great. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All music did a review judging from the songs on Kathleen Edwards sophomore album. Back to me. This is one gal who has had some unpleasant run-ins with Cupid over the years. <laughs> She's not afraid to talk about them. And get this, I've read a review on Amazon. Those aren't really good reviews, but I loved it. Uh, this album isn't the babe at the party that all the guys flock around. This album is the cute girl in the plain dress, no makeup that you ask out when you finally realize you've been having a great time talking with her for the last two hours. Whoa. Isn't that cool? That is cool. <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. Uh, you get some good. Uh, I, I I've st- never like just sat down and read Amazon. That's gonna be my new insomnia thing. Well, <laughs> I, I tell you what, it wasn't easy to find reviews on this one. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah, I I, I just I, I love her breathy kind of vocal, and I love how you you nailed it with the uh, the no vi- vibrato. That is like that's spot on. Yeah, I think that was I can't remember if it was my partner Mary Gaucher that called that or if it was a, f- a friend of ours named Vance Gilbert. It was it wasn't me. I should give credit. Yeah, okay. Someone smarter than me came yeah. oh, <laughs> well, that. Everybody's smarter than me. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well let's let's uh, let's move over to Tracy Chapman because now oh. I have I remember this album. Oh, I want to hear about your experience. Well, it's I, I was young. I mean, yeah. so, like I I think I'm a lot older than you, but. Uh, you know, I, I, let let's get into it. Okay. Um, this is the day de- her debut album, right? Uh, released in '88 by Electra Records. Uh, just after two weeks after its release, the album sold one million copies worldwide. Wow, isn't that crazy? I didn't. Re- oh wow! In total, it sold over twenty million copies worldwide. One of the first albums by a female artist to have more than 10, co- 10 million copies sold. I didn't know that. See, that's incredible. Um. So here they were, late 80s, what's going on? Pop, hair bands, hair metal, uh, glitzy synthesizer, all that, all that stuff, right? And I'll let you take it away from here. Well, you know, my experience from this record was I was, I think I have a vivid memory of being in our little house in Waco when my dad was going to school. So I must have been like five or six, it was around the same time that I got into uh um, I was starting to play guitar and those songs were easy enough yeah. in a way. And now I've gone tra- back, try to learn them as an adult. And I went, Whoa, these are way more complicated right, than right. I remembered as a kid. But there's something about that, like the simplicity, at least perceived simplicity in it. I guess like another Tom Petty reference, you think mm-hmm. a Tom Petty song is simple and then you go into it and you're like, Nope, this thing yeah. happens. What you know, but there's something about her voice that was so mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what it was, was probably the pain I think you can just hear that it's almost like the pain of this country is yeah, in yeah, yeah. so That's many good. of those songs and, and in her voice. And um, when I was eight, I remember just sitting down and playing talking like a revolution over and over and over and over again. And it's weird because I don't, and I listen to, there's the acapella song behind the wall mm-hmm. that she sings about domestic violence. And I remember asking my mom going like, well, what does that mean? Can you explain that to me? And like, that's how I kind of learned about domestic violence because okay. I was fortunate enough to not have that in my home. You know, she's like, well, and in certain communities, like the cops, you know, the cops can't really do anything until it's too late. And of course, there's a cycle and it's like, it just these songs, I mean, li- if you haven't, I mean, I know you have because of this week, yeah. but if there's anyone listening that hasn't listened to these songs in 2022, it's, it's like Woody Guthrie in that way where it is like, really powerful but also in a way heartbreaking how relevant every single yeah. one of these songs is it today. stands the test of time stands the test of time we've moved forward but we're in so much of a similar position yeah no, no I, I i agree someone was telling me last night i was talking to tammy gilmore calling gilmore's wife who uh-huh. worked for south by for a long time and she was telling me that when the snowpocalypse happened that they had power so she went to volunteer and and somehow got connected with, I think his name is Jose Andreas, the world kitchen guy that goes, like, he's in Ukraine right now. Okay. Immediately when a disaster happens, he arrives and he brings hot food for people. He's Epic. an incredible, incredible person. And and she said there's a new documentary about him out. 
And he just said, why? It, it doesn't make sense that people should starve when there's so much food in the world. And I thought about that song, you know, just why? Why do the babies starve when there's enough food to feed the world? It's like we are in the same position 24 years later. What was his name? Jose what? I think his name is uh, Jose Andreas. Andreas, okay. I think it's called the World Kitchen. I'll, I'll make sure I get that right. But Okay. Uh, well, so um, a lot of producers turn this down. Um, uh, I could see why. Yeah. I mean, it was I at a that. time when there's like, the, this is not the cool thing, right? Uh, they didn't really dig what uh, what she was doing, but David Kirschbaum, he decided to produce it and he wanted a record. Uh, he wanted to, he was doing a lot more rock stuff. He wanted to do more, something more, more acoustic. It was recorded in Hollywood in eight weeks. Mm. Um, and most of it, as we've talked about, is is based on political and social social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I mean, I, I agree with you. Her voice, um, the issues that she tackles in her songwriting, I am not good like that as a songwriter. I I talk about being badass and, and evil and rah, I'm, I'm very Keith right Richards. Um, but you know, she 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 tackles these issues and like I'm I'm not a Bono. Yeah. I, I don't stand on a soapbox. I just want people to have fun. Oh, we need that. I mean, especially like coming out. I've noticed, you know, so, sometimes we just need to get out of our brain. We need to like live a fantasy or go into escapism. And there's a place for that. It's really encouraging for you to. I didn't know that a bunch of producers had turned this down, but I just made a record. And it's funny because um, I made a record that. Uh, just got me my first record deal, and a lot of it has to do with like where I grew up and kind of my. Which one is that? Um, it's called. Uh, oh, I grew up in Waco, but my, oh, my yeah. record is called Boomerang Town. It'll come out in February, okay. and it's like a lot about kind of the cycle of addiction and in, in my family and my life, um, struggling with faith and then kind of losing that and like finding right. it again and recover. I mean, it is like tough stuff yeah. for real. It's grief heavy, you know. And I had several producers turn it down because they were like, one said. Well, after what we've been through over the last four years, like, I don't want to make a record this sad. That was truly what he said, you know, and it's funny. It's just like not for everyone. Yeah. You know, and it's it's amazing that I think especially if you're tackling those issues, if you can find a producer that is sensitive to those things mm-hmm. and can really, you know, help bring that to life, then I mean. What if what if no one had made that record? We wouldn't have these songs that can still empower us. I mean, I find power from the struggle in a way. Yeah, for know? sure. Like, okay, because it's like, this is a human experience. Do we want to move forward? Absolutely. Is it terrifying that this was, we were feeling this way and still dealing with these issues 20 years ago, 60 years ago? Of course, you know. It's quiz question I don't know time. if that made, made a sense. But <laughs> I don't know. What was Tracy's debut single off this record? Was it A, talking about revolution? B, give me one reason, or C, fast car. Okay, give me one reason isn't on this record. There you go. Good job. I oddly think it was talking about a revolution. What's your choice? I don't think it was fast car. Fast car was the hit. (laughs) Oh, I got it wrong. Fast car was the single. (laughs) It was the first single off the the album. Oh, dang. Yeah. Well, according to Rolling Stone, Chapman caught everyone's ear in the hair metal late 80s with this album. Stephen Thomas of Erline. Er- that of, was a trick question. <laughs> it was not a trick question. Uh, said, uh, arriving with little fanfare in the spring of 1988, Tracy Chapman's eponymous debut album became one of the key records of the Bush era, providing touchstone for the entire PC movement while reviving the singer-songwriter tradition. Wow. Yeah. Yeah? Wow. 
mean, you got, mm-hmm. and she's, I mean, I, I'd like to think of her as kind of a new Joni Mitchell, new Joan Baez, right? Make yeah, sense? Yeah, I, I, yeah, and all, those are all the, I mean, it's, you can trace it back and back and back as I'm thinking about, you know, Joni and, you know, Baez definitely is someone that's carried the torch of, you know, Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger. It all goes back mm-hmm. to that. You know, words that the people, the folk, songs for the folks, the folks can understand. Yeah. In the for storytelling. Sure. I mean, if you think about it, like she's got that, there's, there's so many songs, the perspectives that she chooses. You know, she's telling, this is, I think, for songwriters a great thing because um, a lot of times, well, I won't go into that, but basically, I think one of the powerful things about a lot of these songs is that she's singing in first person. Yeah. And now that I'm older, I mean, to me, I'm like, wow, she must have lived. I mean, and maybe she did, of course, like heard this domestic. But but I also realized, like, she probably, I mean, there's some fiction. It's fictionalized in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, um, fiction is the what, the super highway to the truth, right? It doesn't have to be factually <laughs> true. It just has to be emotionally true. You know, and she totally killed it with this record. And yeah, all the perspectives of people that she chooses to sting from is really powerful. Like, Sorry to be self-referential, but like on this record, this the title track, Boomerang Town, is like about, it's about where I grew up. And I tried so many perspectives. I tried singing it from the perspective of a kid in the army. I tried singing it from the perspective of a waitress at a restaurant. I tried singing it from the perspective of like a, just a me. And, and the thing that worked was a 17-year-old boy that had knocked up his kid, that, or knocked up his girlfriend. girlfriend that's working at Walmart. You know, so right. it's like... And I think Tracy probably did that with this record. She figured out how who is the I yeah, yeah, in yeah. this story. Who's yeah, the narrator? I, know, I love putting myself in somebody else's shoes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got another review for you. You ready for okay, this one? Okay, yeah. Uh, this is from Sputnik Music. Said Chapman, insistence on maintaining the integrity of her songs as she originally intended to, or originally, originally has led to her first album becoming a truly timeless work. Sure, the simplistic approach to each song won't sit well with everyone, but it's through the simplicity that Chapman effectively conveys her message. At a time when popular music was saturated with cheesy synthesizer lines over electronic data debates, generic party lines, Chapman's effort and success made them more, made them more commendable. Wow. And I love what you said. Fiction is the superhighway of the truth. That's awesome. <laughs> I've learned that. I've learned that. I was studying songwriting. Yeah. Um, I, I say... Um, what would I say? Great artists steal, or they don't borrow; they steal. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, if Bob, if I had chosen a Bob Dylan record, I'm sure we would have gotten into a conversation about that. Uh, here you go. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> there's certain things that I just don't get yet, and one of them's Bob Dylan. Mm, I am a songwriter. I, I and I, I love to write, but I just don't get it yet. But he has been chosen. Now that um, who is that? Now that uh, Jesse Dayton chose Highway 61 revisited, mm. um, he's been chosen seven times. Wow! And that ties Willie Nelson in the history of the podcast. Wow, that makes sense. I mean, I can see, especially if you're of a certain age too. Dylan was the first in a lot of ways. Yeah. He took Hell what yeah, Woody he Guthrie did and and built on that in a really unique way. And even if he was stealing, you know, quote stealing, I, he, I've heard him say, well, you try to do it then if it's so easy. Yeah, exactly. You do right. it. You yeah. do what I did. Yeah. And I love how he <laughs> just like Dylan, is yeah. so like, oh, I don't know what this song is about. Right. right. I, I do vibe with that. <laughs> yeah. I do too. Wow. Um, okay. So Eliza Gilkinson. Oh, Eliza Gilkinson. Live 
in Austin. Yes. You first chose Hard Times in Babylon. I did. But that's okay because it, this was on the same tour. Exactly. This was her ACL taping, I think. Yes, it was. Yeah, cool. It was released in 2000, uh, and I saw on your website that she gave you a blurb, she which did. is really cool. She did. That's awesome. Uh, are you guys close? You know, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I met my partner at her house, actually, and... It was funny. So I was I was good friends with Jimmy Lafave, who passed away in 2017. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew Jimmy, but I got to sing with him quite a bit. And I I think Eliza Gilkison was so my thing that everyone just assumed that I knew who she was. <laughs> Nobody told me about her. You know, like I would I remember like hanging out at Strange Brew and there would be lines like who's playing? Oh, it's Eliza Gilkison. I was like, OK, cool. Like, that's cool. Whatever. And then it wasn't until. I kept hearing about, I, and I knew that Mike Hardwick, who's one of my favorite guitar players in town, played with her. That's okay. all I knew about her. And I was playing a songwriters festival in Dripping Springs, and she play. I saw her play, and I was like, "What? Yeah. Oh my! This is so. This is the coolest shit ever! Like, why didn't anyone? I was like, you know, yelling at the sky. Why didn't anyone tell me? And I remember I had like terrible service, but I sat down and I bought every single one of her records in the parking lot everything I could get I just bought I was like until I, I couldn't drive back to Austin and I just totally fell in love with her music and her song or just everything in her production and then this weird thing happened where I was like well who made these records like hard times in right, that right. one and I looked and I saw it was this guy Mark Hallman do you know mm -hmm. Mark no I do not so he owned a place and it just closed he's now at Cedar Creek but it's it was called the Congress House Studio Okay. And it's like Johnny Gowdy has spent a lot of time with Mar. I mean, a lot of folks have made records. Charlie Sexton, Will Sexton, like kind of cut guys. their teeth there. You it's know? Teasing, teasing. <laughs> He's legendary. But yeah, so then I was like, the guy I talked to at parties, like I didn't realize that this friend of mine was like this amazing producer. Right. Because he just never talked about it, like that in himself. And, and anyways, I totally fell in love with her stuff. And, and my friend Jimmy used to tease me because, um, he knew that I was a, a super fan. And if I was doing something that he like, wasn't so sure about business wise or personally, mm -hmm. he would be like, I'm going to tell lies on you. Cause I never <laughs> met her. <laughs> and then I finally met her. We were doing, the, she was doing the sun radio thing and she was singing the song called slouching to Bethlehem. And Mark was on stage with her and, and Mark goes, come here. Like while they're on stage. And I was like, what? And he was like, I know, you know, this part, just sing it. And so I met her on stage nice, singing with her live, which was like a dream come true. And she, <laughs> yeah. So after Jimmy died, she's, she's really scooped me up and has mentored me and has been a tremendous help in my life. And I'm so grateful. That's so cool. She's so cool. <laughs> I love that you met her on stage. That's how we met. That's great. Yeah. Um, Beauty way. Oh my God. That song. I mean, that's the song that I've heard. Yeah. That's the one that I, I like. I heard it. I was like, oh, I know this one. Yeah. Um, but I've never listened to her, really. Oh, and So, wow. again, thank you. Uh, also, Jeff Plankenhorn was the first guy on my, or first podcast E. That's what I call, that's what I call you. Oh. <laughs> uh, he was the first one. I saw he had a quote on your website as well. Oh, yeah. I love Plank. He, oh, dude. He's, he might be one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my entire life. Totally. Yeah, he really scooped me up, too. He was one of the first folks that really was like, all right, come with me, kid. So you know. here, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, when I had him, oh, I was like, okay, well, listen, we'll do it after your show at the Saxon. We'll go in the back room. Well, we couldn't do it because there was some event there, so we had to go down to Joe's right down Joe's. the street. Uh, right down on Congress. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. Went to, we had to meet at Joe's for some reason. So yeah. we went there, and there was all this clanking and buses driving by <laughs> and stuff in the background, but... Uh, it was a fun podcast. That was back in the day when, when I was like, I just want this to be a 30-minute podcast so oh, people yeah. listen to the whole thing. I was like, no, can't do it. Patrice came over and she said, 
you know, you should probably do this longer because people that have fans are going to want to know more about it. About yeah. The, the person. All Music reviewed this record. The live record. Cool. Yes. Uh, well, actually, you know what? I don't know if it was Hard Times in Babylon or the live record, but uh, this edition, yes, this is about the live record. Uh, this edition of the Austin City Limits Live from Austin was recorded during the tour of Hard Times in Babylon. Uh, to date, one of the finest moments in Eliza Gilkinson's recording career. It's sad, dark, full of late night lonesome mm-hmm. that is tough to chart, though she does it be- so beautifully and almost not believably. What, make, what makes it work is the sheer, limpid, unadorned manner in which Gilkinson presents her songs. It's a chilling, arresting performance that ranks not only among the greatest in her career, but among the, the very best in a now voluminous Live from Austin series. Amen. Yeah. That, I mean, the band that she has for the... Sorry to nerd out. I do... When I lived here, I'm in Nashville now, but when I lived here, I did a lot of studio stuff. And I would go see just... As like you talked about earlier when we were getting set up, just as much live music as possible because yeah. I had such a deficit growing up in Waco where I didn't see any. So I'm like, every chance I can get, I would go see four to five bands a night. And yeah. that band, her son, Cisco, who plays drums, I love his style. I think it's super unique. It's like just real funky. And he's, I think he's great. Glenn Fukunaga on bass. Come on. Hello. And then I mean, Mike Hardwick, you know, previously mm-hmm. mentioned, one of my favorite guitar players in the world, truly. I think he's astonishing. Rich Brotherton, those harmonies, which, you know, were arranged, I'm sure, by Mark Hallman in the studio. But Rich, like his whole vibe. And then one of my favorite guitar solos of all time is actually Nina Gerber's guitar solo on the live version wow. of Beauty Way. Okay. I think it's marvelous. But that that's like a less, such a lesson in how to craft a kick-ass set. Yeah. She I, takes I people on a great journey, you know. And you know, I mean, okay, so let's just go ahead and go back to what this podcast is about. I believe it's about the art of the album because I believe it's yes. been lost. And, you know, today you have all these millennials that all they do is just go download songs and they don't understand the whole art of the album on how it should be a side, side A, side B, and then it should flow a specific way. There's two first cuts, there's two last cuts on each side. Mm-hmm. And it's missing in this world today. I agree with you. And I strongly why, agree with that's you. That's why I'm trying to do this on my new album, Honky Rock. I can't wait to hear that. And you know, to bring up a point I, I brought up earlier, that whole, I've been really wrestling with this idea, you know, one as a songwriter, but also, well, I guess we'll get into it when we talk about the Patty Griffin thing. But you know, when I, I played with a band here when I lived here and mm-hmm. when I started, when I went full time, I went out as a solo opening act. Okay. And one, I didn't really have the material for that is what I learned as a songwriter, but I didn't have the skills. Like being a troubadour is a whole different skill set. But I also realized like, okay, if I don't have, you know, all this other stuff going on, I feel like, you know, a lot of the songwriters that I love, you know, like Towns Van Zandt, right? At least who I've been listening to quite a bit. Like they don't really, even Kathleen Edwards, she sings, but she doesn't sing out a lot. She's not like, you know, hitting you over the top with her head or with her, uh, hitting you over the head with her voice. And I always felt weird, like, because I so wanted people to respect me as a songwriter. Because when that moment turned for me where people were like, oh, you have a great voice, so I really like your songs. That was, like, so yeah, powerful yeah, yeah. for me. That's... I wanted to write on that. And then I realized, like, oh, all I have to work with is my voice. So I have to, I have to sing. And that was, like, really terrifying. And I had a total, like, breakdown of confidence and then, like, have, like, built it up again. And so for some reason, like, and also after seeing that Linda Ronstadt documentary, I've just thought about, like, do I have a responsibility with my voice and my understanding of song 
to make a record because I also believe in the form of a record. And I think if more people really believed in the art of the record, you know, it's like, I don't have to write every song on this record. My goal no. is to make the best record possible. What if I do cut a David Olney song? What if I cut a yeah. Graham Weber song? Because that's the song that belongs on this record. Like that untangling of the ego, I think has been, I don't know. It hasn't really happened since the Bob Dylan era. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and so totally. I think bringing back the art of the record would bring back an elevation of some of the greatest songs in the world. And I'm like, not, I mean, in my little folk world, I'm like, do I have a responsibility with someone that does have a big voice? Because now I'm meeting songwriters. They're like, well, I don't really sing my own songs or they're insecure about their voice. And they're like, well, if you would sing it. I'm like, wow, there is that go. something that Jimmy left me with? Who's a great interpreter of songs? Like, do, do I need to do that? Make a record of songs that I didn't write because I can sing. Like yeah. I had never really considered that until, I don't know, till that all happened. And then I went back and was really thinking about Linda and Emmy and and all these folks. And Eliza is someone who can freaking sing. Yes, she can. Her tone, oh my God. So speaking of that, I've, so my band, The Big Gun Show, we do some covers. It's primarily original stuff, right? But when we do cover it, we cover it, we we smear Big Gun Show all over Right it. on, So we're yeah. doing like, you know, uh, Fight for the Right to Party by the Beastie Boys, yes. Dead Flowers by the Stones. We're doing the, all these classic songs that everybody straight up now tell me. Oh yeah, Hello, Abdul. Yes. It, it's a totally yes. rock and roll. It's like so you know, and so I want to do a little EP, like a five song EP of just us doing co maybe call it covers. Oh wow, great! And just like to, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a gin and juice by the Gorge. That is the talk right? about interpreting a song. There that is that is such a lesson. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Graham and I have talked about. I think we're gonna do it. We're gonna take a lot of town songs that okay we feel we both love to sing and make a record together. Right on. Um, you know, because there are, there are a lot of town songs that don't get elevated as much that we love to yeah. sing. But yeah, that's that's cool. Like that that gin and juice thing, like that was my introduction to Kevin Russell. <laughs> right, totally. Well, I thought he was the gourds. Yeah. Yes, me. Yeah. 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 All right. Austin Chronicle said about hard times in Babylon. This is a, a review okay. I read. Uh, following Misfits, her fine self-released collection of songs in 1999, Eliza Gilkinson went some uh, went through some trying times. Her father, folk singer Terry Gilkinson, passed away. Close friend committed suicide, and she went through a difficult relationship breakup. Hard Times in Babylon is a diary of sorts of how she dealt with those painful situations. Mm. That's true. Do you know about her dad, Tony Gilkinson? Do you know anything? Terry. Terry Gilkinson. Tony's her brother. Right. So Terry was like a, he was like, a, was he jazz? He was like an old school, like almost American songbook folk singer. He wrote okay. Bare Necessities. I don't know that. Like Jungle Book song. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Huh. And her brother was an ex for a while, Tony Gilkison. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Well, so musical family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So here is another review that I, I read by No Depression. Uh, Liza Gilkinson has been making records for nearly two decades, but Hard Times in Babylon is a revelation, a bracing song cycle about the challenges of balancing art and eros. Like Lucinda Williams, she sings with a scratchy, wounded sensuality, suggesting a wise and generous soul beneath the rough and tumble surface. She supports her uh, soul-searching lyrics with catchy, humble mel hummable melodies. The gutty, up-tempo opening track establishes the beauty way as an insightful, effective metaphor. Love that song. That that line, there's a line in that song. I mean, I think of that song a lot when we're on the road. We're like, wish, yeah, wish yeah. I was lying like a cat in the sun instead of working like a dog for the cash. There's yeah. some gigs where I'm just like, all right, where this is a this is a 
this is a dog gig or something, you know, or like she's got that. This I love. This is like I love this. Um, now I'm like into. It. Now I'm more awake. I'm like, I wish we could go back. So, but um, uh, uh, I've had those nights when my guitar rages, but it's not something you control. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like some nights you're just in the flow of things and things yeah. are working out. And other nights it's just like you're watching yourself do it and you can't get out of that space. Yeah. And it's so, uh, that to me is just like every working musician on earth needs to hear that song. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, so Music Matters said of the record, um, Gilkinson has that rare quality of being an over-skeptic yet is still one who puts all of her hope in the potential of love to overcome overwhelming odds. Isn't that cool? That's amazing. Since I know Eliza a little bit personally, I, I that's amazing. She has this whole stage bit where she talks about, and she's like, she'll wake up in the middle of the night. I mean, she's been concerned about the environment her entire yeah. life, you know, and she, she now lives in New Mexico where there's a raging fire and just, you know, all sorts of stuff. But yeah, you're right. She's, she has this like, She'll say she wakes up in the middle of the night and she's like, everything's going to, you know, the world is going to burn up and just has these like terrible. Th and then she'll she'll hear this voice, this whisper that's like, well, pick up the guitar, Eliza, you know, go to the songs, Eliza. Yeah. And I think that's where so much hope comes from. Lucky for us. Yes. That we get to hear that. Very lucky. Uh, you know, it's, it's so nice when somebody can channel, uh, you know, something like that, some some hard time because like I, I'm guilty. I don't I don't write about hard times. I write, I write about fun and evil, you know? I think that's great. I just, I think every, I think knowing what you're called, I think we're all called to do different things. I think we're all called to music for different reasons and there should be absolutely no shame in that whatsoever. That's I, my belief. I'm good. Then you like And me. this is like my religion. <laughs> music is kind of like my religion. It's, it's like my it, spiritual Yeah, Ziggy Morley situation. said that, right? Was that Ziggy? Oh, I don't know. Really? Music is my religion. I agree religion. with him. Yeah. Okay. Well, so let's move on to Patty Griffin. Okay. All right, so oh. this record was picked by Plank. Ah. Uh, okay, and so okay, he, he told that. me it was released in 1966. Um, 1996. 1996. 96, You're yeah. correct. See, thank you. Um, so Plank and Hort, uh, he was on the first episode, and he told me a story. He said he was driving with Ray Wiley Hubbard. I think they were driving back to Ray's house. And uh, well, every little bit came on the radio. Oh my God. Or came on the stereo and they just basically drove in silence for the entire song. And he looked at Ray and was like, What was that? And I just looked at him and said, It was Patty. <laughs> that was it. That's all he said. And then they kept driving. Well, <laughs> that was Patty. I can hear him. Uh, I totally hear him in his radio. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll tell you a well. story about Ray Wiley Hubbard real quick. Uh, one time I was driving up to Dallas and I pulled over to get some coffee. And then I was, wa I was walking out and he was walking in and I was like, Oh, that's I got to talk to him, you know, and I, this was like right, you know, right when I first started, like my first band, we were terrible, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I told him, I was, and it, this was also right when uh, he had done that song with uh, um, Hayes Carl. Oh, yeah. Drunk Poet's, Poet's Dream. Dream. Yeah. yeah. Which is fucking love that song. Um, and I was like, hey, man. He, and he, he was so nice. He sat down. He talked to me for like 15, 20 minutes. Wow. And, uh, I was like, man, I, I want, I really, I love what you did with Hayes. I want to come, I'll come to your house. I'll do whatever. Let's, I, when I said, he's like, whoa, 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 I just met you, dude. <laughs> You're not coming to my house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a funny, I have a couple funny Ray stories, but I, I have this curse. I don't know. Are you familiar with Terry Allen at all? Uh, hero. Really? Hashtag. I love I lo his show at the Paramount is so epic. It that, that is the best band in town or in the world. In I the think. world. 
I dude, I can't. Have you seen his exhibit at the Blanton? No, I it's about to go away. Where I oh my, I'm gonna go see it again today. I think it's my. So I have a. I love Terry Allen. Okay, I'm a I'm a huge fan. Buck love the songs. On the album. Oh really? He's all the keys. Oh my god, I'm super excited. I don't. I ha, so I have never seen. I have a curse with Terry Allen, where every time. I'm going to see Terry Allen like something happens and like he was supposed to be on a festival and he pulled out of the festival or, you know, I had tickets to see him at the Paramount and there was like a disaster at work and I couldn't leave the office like all these. So one of the worst like this, this is the one that kills me. So my roommate at the time, Jane Allen Bryant, we were both Mm -hmm. in bands together and she won best female vocalist that year. And it was at the ACL you know, Moody, I guess it's right mm-hmm. before South by the Austin Music Awards, yeah. right? So she's like, you should come. Like, Terry Allen's going to play. And I was like, yes. yes she's I'm like, there. and Lyle Lovett is going to sing town songs. Like, I'm like, great. Like, so excited. So I'm at the show and I realize, like, they're not pumping anything backstage. There's no audio. There's no video. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. And Todd Wolfson was like, well, you should just go out, like, stand by the side of the stage. Like, no one is there. And I was like, okay, like, I just want to see Terry Allen. Right. So it was me, my friend Caleb. And Brian, who plays guitar with Jane and also me. So we're standing by the side of the stage. Charlie Sexton comes up. He's like, oh, hey, Jamie, great to see you. Gives me a hug. Goes on stage. And I'm like, I'm fi-. I'm like almost crying. Like, I'm finally going to see Terry <laughs> Allen. I don't even care if it's two songs. Like, I'm finally. Right. And this woman with a clipboard comes up. Who and she says, it's getting really crowded back here. I'm going to have to ask you to go backstage. And it was just the three of us. <laughs> I was like, you have got to be kidding me. So I was pissed. I was like, I can't, but I'm still not going to see Terry Allen. Are you kidding me? And still to this day, have not seen Terry Allen. I still haven't. Cracker crunch. Oh my God. Oh my God. So so we're standing backstage and Hayes Carl had won best male vocalist. Uh And he didn't come to the award show for lots of reasons. Hayes has a hilarious, he's got some hilarious stories about why award shows are terrifying for him. So Ray Wiley picked up his award for him. Okay. So because it was Jane was best female vocalist and Hayes was right after. So I end up in line with Ray Wiley. And so my friend has this picture of me where I'm like pissed off. My arms are crossed. <laughs> I'm like devastated. And Ray is just standing next to me. But that's how I met Ray. And now like Ray and I've written together. I've, you know, I sang on his latest record and I'm stuff. He's like, him. great. Oh, it's fun, man. He's fun. But that, so that was the good thing about missing Terry Allen was that I got to meet Ray Wiley. But I'm still mad about it. I uh, know. I need to let that resentment go. But <laughs> I, you've seen him, though. No. You still haven't. I still have never. Oh, my. You ha- Last year, he was supposed to be on the Red River Folk Festival with us. And I'm like, great. We get to see him. No. And all my friends are like, well, you know, okay, Terry, I'll tell right? tell you what. N- next oh time he comes, I, I have this addiction to where when a good show is coming to town that I just buy two tickets. And I say, somebody will go with me. And so next time I'll call you. If you're in town, you're going with me. Absolutely. Fair? Yes. Ab- All right. More than fair. All right. So Patty <laughs> sent this demo tape to uh, of just her and her guitar to A&M Records, and Nile Rod- Rod- Rogers loved it, right? Yeah. And so he tried to make it kind of more, you know, mass consumable. Um, Did you say Nile Rogers? That just hit me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, Didn't know that. <laughs> he, tried, he tried to make it more mainstream, but he, in the end he just said, no, I'm just releasing this demo as it is. I didn't put it together. That I knew that story, but I didn't realize that the guy behind it was Nile Rogers. Yeah. Okay. Wow. You know, when I first listened to this record, um, I got this very Alanis Morissette vibe. You I know? could see that. Yeah. And uh, I went back and looked, and ends up that I was like, oh, she must have been copying Patty. But she, they were released like in this, within a year of each other. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so, yeah. So tell me about this record. What is it? What is it that, that really oh, strikes you? This is formative for me. This is like where it all like where it all started. I mean, in a lot of ways, like when I started really writing songs. So remember like the LimeWire days, the Kazaa mm-hmm. days? Of course. So like I said, I didn't have access to you know, a record store where I lived. And my dad was like as big into music. And so he was downloading something. And somehow in this, I don't even know what it was that he downloaded. But he downloaded part of this. It came with part of it. And it was like maybe 45 seconds of her song Forgiveness from that record. Okay. So that's all I had. And then I realized that, you know, she she wrote Let Him Fly, which was on the Chicks record. Uh-huh. Um, which I think for a lot of girls my age that grew up in Texas, that first yeah. Chicks record, Wide Open Spaces, that was huge, you know. Yeah. And talk, that's another record that, I mean, so many great songwriters that are included in that. And so they're huge Patty Griffin fans. So that I realized, like, oh, she wrote this song. Because also because, you know, I was kind of on the edge of, you know, liner notes and stuff. I mean, I mm-hmm. remember when I went to my first record store, which was in Austin and Waterloo. Yeah. And I opened up an Emmy Lou record and I went, she didn't write any of these songs. <laughs> it hadn't occurred to me, right. which is probably why I think about it a lot that like, they, those were two, who's Butch Hancock? Who's, you yeah, know, tells yeah. me, I was like, whoa. So I was like, oh, my dad was like, yeah, well, Patty wrote these songs, you know, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. So all I had was like 45 seconds of forgiveness. And I listened to that over and over and over. And I had no idea what it was. I still don't really know what that song is about, but it just mesmerized me. And so that my dad said, hey, they're putting on this music festival in Austin and Patty Griffin is going to play and Emilio Harris is going to play. We should go. And that was the first Austin City Limits music festival. It was like $50 and we were broke as hell. But my dad said, we got to go. And so that was the first time I saw Patty, and it was on that Thousand Kisses tour. So okay. she had like um, Doug Lancio, who's playing in Bob Dylan's band right now, was playing with her. Michael Ramos, who's here, it was like an incredible band. And this other thing happened there where I saw Julie Miller and Buddy Miller play with Emmylou Harris, and that's when I realized that you know she that you know my dad was like, well, she wrote that song, you know, Wrecking Boss. I didn't know that, and I found out later that. Um, Julie was had spent a lot of time in Waco because my grandmother went to Bible study with her mother. Okay, and so I was like, wait, I put it together like someone from Waco wrote a song that Amy Lou Harris is singing. Like the whole thing, like made it seem possible for me to like be a songwriter. So my dad, like he couldn't afford a hotel room really, but he bought me every single Patty Griffin record at the Austin City Limits Music Festival, and I started writing songs a week later. Wow! And it's so crazy to me now because. I love hearing that kind of stuff. Oh, my God. I mean, it really, this record completely changed my mind and my life. Because I didn't really know that there was this world of music like this. And, like, you know, other artists I didn't pick, but, like, James McMurtry, you know, Butch Hancock, this whole world. I just knew about 90s country and Tom Petty. You know, Tom Petty's great. I love Tom Petty still, but... Who but yeah, who who doesn't? Psychopaths, um, sociopaths. But I went to go see uh, what's his name, Mike Campbell. Oh, at Antone's awesome! With the dirty knobs, dude, he was so awesome. He was like having so much fun. He was just like smiling. Fuck that guy, you know. He was just. I, it was it was one of the better shows I've seen this year. Oh, that's I have to go see that. It, it was it was incredible. I heard one of their songs on the radio, and I was like, "Who is this background vocalist? It's extraordinary, Margot Price." Yeah. I was like, wow, I hadn't really heard her do background. It was like, other than like, I've heard her do duets in her own thing. But when she was like, I, that was just, I was just, it stopped me in my tracks. But but yeah, the Patty Griffin thing, man. And it's like amazing because, I mean, first of all, I want to say, I should really, really thank you because going back and like, I was really surprised by my list in a lot of ways. Like I would have never guessed that it would be all women. 
Uh, it surprised me. In so. my mind, I don't listen to a lot of what, but when I think about really where every song is kick ass, it's th- these are the records for me, and really, really surprised me. And and also like when I really think about like living with Ghost, where I'm at now, all of these, every single record that I pick teach, teaches me something. It taught yeah. me something, and I can go back to them and still learn from them because I'm in this position now, like I talked about, where I had to be completely broken down. I'm like, I know how to lead a band. I know how to rock and roll. I know how to take people on a journey, you know, with the set list that does a certain thing, almost in a wrecking ball way. Yeah. But it's like I have to be alone now for financially mm-hmm. for where I'm at in my career I can't bring a band with me I'm like basically starting at the beginning as far as like me being turned on to the world in a way and so this record going back I'm like you know there's a so much courage in here it's just her singing her ass off yeah some of yeah, the best songs and like leaning into it, it just it gave me a lot of courage going back and listening to this again going like oh my god this is the job here you this know, is the job. I tell people all the time, I said, you know, if you'll just go back and listen to your five records, you, you will be able to talk a lot more intelligently about them. And a lot of people don't want to go back and listen to them. That's fine. You know? Really? Yeah. But I mean. Oh, this was a blast for me. To, I mean, I've been on planes and stuff. So I've yeah. been listening and just going like, actually, you know, listening to that Tracy Chapman record the other day, I was crying. <laughs> all of these, they just moved. I mean, I listen to Wrecking Ball in a way. I, I will listen almost exclusively to Wrecking Ball. Like that's like, I have it in every form. You know, on vinyl yeah. and like my CD player in my car, like it is everywhere with me. So I, I listen to that constantly. But to go back to these records and really, really listen, yeah. I'm just like, there is so much still I can learn from these. It's I, I think it's wise to go back and listen. I, and I do too. Why you fall records? in love, right? You know. Okay, so I will tell you a story. You just mentioned crying. You got it. Um, at that show that you were at at Lucy's ACL. Oh yeah. For uh for um Western Youth. Yeah. I was sitting there with my bandmate, and I started, I started crying, in the oh. middle of in the, in the middle of the floor. There wasn't that many people there, but I started crying because I was thinking about Yates, and I was like, "Dude, he would love this so oh, much." Yeah. And then it just tears started coming down. I was, they're starting to come up right now, but um, that's you know, I mean, music does that to you when you know somebody's gonna love something so much, and you're so close to that person. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's de- yeah. No Depression did a review of this album. Um, Patty Griffin's debut is in in most in most ways a simple affair. Ten songs presented with only her voice and guitar for company. Her voice, however, travels an uncertain road with stops to visit Ricky Lee Jones, Lucinda Williams, Alanis Morissette, Tracy Chapman. Uh, Left to her own, Griffin has a strong, sometimes breathy voice and a tone of flavor all its own. I had to. Stay that stay that one because Tracy Chapman was involved. Yeah, and Ricky Lee Jones. Yeah, yeah very cool. I don't think Ricky has Ricky Lee Jones ended up on your. Mm-hmm. I bet if you had Celia in here, that would end up on her list. We've we've been we got to meet her in New Orleans recently, and uh, I've sort of become friends with her and saw her do a live show that was astonishing outside of Nashville. And it's just like I'm surprised that she hasn't been elevated to the level of a Joni Mitchell to the level of. Right. A Joan Bot like all these incredible, powerful women. Because what she did, I mean, she was running around with Tom Waits and all these. She was in the Laurel Canyon Canyon scene. Mm-hmm. She was, she's a heavy hitter, man. Yeah, and she doesn't come up in conversation enough. I, I don't think so. That's cool that she's in that list in a way. Well, okay. So I got one more review. All and right, then wrap it up here. Here's the thing: the record company actually had a point. There's a lot of raw talent on this demo. 
just because record company executives are usually big, fat tubs of lard laced with urine who don't want to pay out money for orchestration doesn't mean they don't occasionally recognize a good thing when they hear it. I mean, while it's as rare as going to the woods in Arkansas and spotting an ivory-billed woodpecker, it's been rumored to happen. <laughs> is that great? That's great. You know, I actually, we, we were on, uh, Buddy Miller has a radio show. Buddy Miller yep, with, with Jim. XM. Exactly. Yeah. And somehow, oh, this came up because he has you pick some songs when you when you do a show. And Patty came up and he said, you know, someone gave me a copy of that original record that yeah. they didn't release. And he's like, I'm glad that I have it because Patty didn't even have it. Wow. So it's floating out there somewhere. You know, maybe awesome. maybe one day it'll come to life. I would like to hear what they what they turned down in a way. Okay. Well, all right. So tell me something. Okay. Jamie. Uh Anything you want to promote? You got this new record. Tell me about it. Yeah, I got a new record coming out in February. It's called Boomerang Town, and I'm really, really excited about it. It's coming out on 30 Tigers, and I'm touring my ass off. I mean, if you live in the United States, if you live in the UK, the Netherlands, Germany, we will probably see you. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. I'm easy to find on my website. Okay, so it's jamieharris.com. You got it. What about social channels? Where can the people find you? Oh, yeah. So Instagram it's and Twitter, J-A-I-M-E-E Harris, and then Facebook is Jamie Harris official. Okay. Cool. Um, it's been a joy talking to you today. I loved this. Thank it's so you. So much fun, right? So that's. It was really fun, and and just the process of like really, I feel so a renewed sense of responsibility in what I do, and just excitement about what I do, yeah. especially in this time where I'm about to like you know have my first record deal and go out in the world in a big way, and I need a whole lot of courage. And like you said, like going back to these records and going back to really the foundation of what made me want to do this and my leaders, especially like a lot of these records I found when I was a kid and now as an adult and having more understanding of song going, listening to them, I'm like, my mind is even more blown before I knew what these songs were about. Yeah. My soul was just connected to them in a way and to hear them again is really renewed my excitement for what I do and it's, it's made me want to write and like that is a gift I can't thank you enough for really thank you I, you're welcome and thank you for turning me on to this new music love it I love it alright so thanks again for coming out I really had a good time me too thanks right. Gunner. peace oh that was so much fun loved that conversation and quiz questions she got almost all of them anyway thanks to everyone that's still here listening uh, you can find Jamie on the good old intraweb at jamieharris.com, Instagram with the handle of Jamie Harris, and you spell it J A I M E E H R, excuse me, H A R R I S. Uh, on Facebook, uh, it is Jamie Harris Music. And if you got the gumption, head on over to thebiggunshow.com. Check out what my band is up to these days. You can also catch us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube while with the handle of The Big Gun Show Band. It's the beginning, band on the end. And our most consistent gig is at Jenny's Little Longhorn here in Austin, Texas, home of Chicken Chip Bingo. We play happy hour first Friday of every month. Bring Grandma. She'll have a blast. Now close your eyes. You're driving out to Terlingua again. What five records do you have? Till next time. To make it through.